0: Hello, Um, just before we get started with this month's Cucumber podcast, I want to tell you about Cucumber London, um, which is our annual gathering of people who deeply care about collaboration. Um, This year, Cucumber is split between a day of short talks and as well as a day of open space, and we're very fortunate to welcome back Dan North, who's famed famed for introducing um, the term Behaviour Driven Development. And Eureka Malgram, um, someone we've had here before, who's brilliant, uh, a tester who turned to an agile coach and is now a developer. And as always, uh, we cap attendance at 150, so make sure you book soon. For more details, please check out the show notes or go directly to CucumberFest.cucumber.io. Bye.
1: Okay,
0: welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. I'm Matt Wynn, and this week we're speaking to two people with names who are quite difficult to pronounce, so let me try. We have uh, Franzi Trabold, and we have Marit Puhiervi. How did I do?
1: Not too bad. Well done.
0: Thank you. So um, I know that we're here to talk about collaboration between testers and developers, um, which is a, a favorite subject of mine too. Um, I remember writing when we would wrote the Cucumber book uh, about tester apartheid and how it was a big problem for kind of quality in teams that testers got treated as kind of second-class citizens and, you know, didn't get the opportunity to talk to developers very often. They felt like they were bothering developers if they did. Um, and so um, I'm really interested in what you two have got to say about this. Um before we kind of start the conversation maybe it would be useful if each of you would just kind of say a few words about yourselves just tell the listeners who who you are how you came to be here
1: Yeah thanks um so I'm Franzi and I'm an engineering manager currently at an online shop in Switzerland And I used to be contracting um, as a software crafter, going around uh, helping teams develop better code. And I met Maret through European Testing Conference, and we're organizing that together. I'm Maret, and
2: well, I get to introduce myself a lot, and I've come to the conclusion that I need to say that I'm a feedback fairy. (laughs) <laughs> that is probably the best way that I can describe what I do. I come with the gift of feedback, uh, hopefully with a smile on my face so that the developers wouldn't treat me like I need to be, you know, put somewhere away and, and closed off from the, the conversation. I also, well, well, I've been working with teams uh, for quite some time. I work typically in one organization right now for the last one and a half years. I spend at F-Secure and building security software as my day job.
0: So, Marit, you're the I, I, you're the feedback fairy, as in what, what most some people might call a tester. but We're going to pigeonhole you, and Francie, you're the you're the developer here in this conversation. Yeah, I,
1: yeah, they put, yeah. I I mean, I'm a developer, but I'm very interested in testing. Yeah. But I do know I have the developer's perspective and experience in coming from that role. And Marit has the. I guess, more of the tester's perspective. I think actually
2: my tester's perspective is, is pretty strong. In the recent years when I've been trying to kind of like fit the hat of a programmer to myself a bit, I still keep coming back to the idea that I'm primarily a tester. And I like to say that I'm just a tester. But then again, nobody's ever just anything. So we are so many things and can do so many things. So, you know, everyone has their own uh, quirks on on what they like to do and, and what they like to contribute on. Yeah.
0: So I don't know maybe we should start by talking about the problem like what are some of the like most horrible situations you've been in Mara as a tester over the years like where you really weren't included or I mean what have you seen Francie when you've gone into teams and or or people you've talked to where where things really weren't working and, and testers and developers weren't on the same page weren't working together.
2: We were actually having an interesting discussion around our worst experiences just before we started talking here together and... um, I realized that I haven't had a really, really bad experience. So a couple of days ago, I I was reading stuff on Twitter and a friend of mine that I follow tweeted that uh, she needed to share stories about how developers were shouting at her for the first time and how this has happened over and over again and how she's now better at, at dealing with that. And I remember to be just very appreciative that I've never been shouted at. So Any of the negative experience that I have are the things where I kind of feel shy to go and talk to developers. I feel that I'm wasting their time or at worst, I've had some managers sometimes, you know, creating these rules where uh, I'm not supposed to bother developers at certain hours or only once a week or whatever the the rule is. But that has been uh, a lot less in the recent years after 24 years in the industry.
1: I just feel like there's a lot of uh, time wasted and energy wasted and also, I guess, demotivation uh, due to this lack of communication. And I feel like uh, I've personally made the experience that um, I've had testers being separated from us developers, Um, sometimes Yeah, just through the organization, how the organization worked. And um, them basically doing a lot of work, um, but due to the lack of communication, the work sort of being uh, not usable or um, not appreciated. And that can lead to a lot of frustration also and devaluing um, the kind of image of the tester and basically taking away from what they could do to to, uh, really improve the team. And it's only to my engagement in the software crafters community that i've met amazing testers i think one of the first people i met um met there was Markus Gärtner. Um, he joined the software crafters a couple of times and um, he was a big advocate for including testers in our in our communities and um yeah hearing their perspective on things and i started to inter- find interest in that and go to a couple of i guess tester community conferences and Yeah, seeing that, uh, it was like, wow, there's this whole community that is at least as exciting as my developer community or developer-driven community that is also supposed to include testers. (laughs) So um, what are we doing wrong? Why are we not talking to each other? Um, Why are we not doing more things together? So one of
2: the things we realized uh, is that um, testers a lot of times get trained on how to talk to developers. So at least, you know, I've been to various conferences, tester conferences in particular, where there's talks and full day sessions on how to talk to a developer. And I really remember first time hearing this idea that you're talking to someone who has a baby and you're going to tell them that the baby is ugly and you need to kind of like, you know, pad the message around a bit
1: so that you can tell this. (laughs) Maybe I had similar experiences as well. Because um, of the role, I always came into an existing team that already had their code. They were often very proud of that code. And the code sometimes really had some really good ideas and, you know, a lot of work went into it. And it's really hard to tell them, look, there's something fundamental we need to change about the way we work. So needs, I always learned how to deliver that message.
0: That's interesting. I'm reading this book about feedback at the moment. Um, It's called thanks for the feedback. I'm not going to be able to remember the names of the authors right now, Um, but it's all about how to receive feedback and how to learn from the, all the feedback you get, even if it's somebody like just going, you know, you're an idiot um, in a really aggressive way. Like uh, there are, there are ways to process that and dialogue with that person to, Figure out like what behaviors you were doing that they've judged as idiotic and so on, and and eventually you can get to the point where you can learn something from almost any any kind of feedback. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting, like um, being in the position of having to give feedback to to developers, to say you're you know your baby's ugly, um, and feeling like you need to need to be gentle with that, like. What is wrong with the mindset of a development team that they're not hungry for that feedback? What do you think is going on there?
1: I think in in some ways, uh, it's it's a part of development culture that um, in certain ways, um, they're celebrated as rock stars. you know, oftentimes there's a certain uh, sort of wink wink. We are all nerdy and we you know we don't have to learn any soft skills, you know, that's for. People in in other like roles, we don't have to do that. Uh, we just need to worry about our code, you know, and our code. That's that's what we're proud of, and it's so clever and so awesome. And if you create a culture like that, and if you, yeah, if that's the mainstream view of what developers are supposed to be, it's never challenged. And when people come into the industry, they experience this, and then they. They will also behave like that, you know. It's it's about creating a different kind of culture, especially viewing the whole team, how uh, one team can work together. And it's up to the people in the team and leaders to create the culture in each company, and in each team, to combat that. Yeah, a lot of the
2: heroes, kind of that we celebrate, actually, are not giving us the best of of examples on how developers, in particular, should behave, and. I think that a lot of that gets also like translated into the expected behavior. So uh, one of the examples, probably one of the most famous ones, is Linus Torvalds, and, and at least I've been seeing a lot of stuff where uh, the communication style uh, that has been used is is something that I wouldn't hope for, you know, for my worst enemy even. But uh, we might be very different in our opinions on, on how you are supposed to be talking to people.
0: Yeah. So heroes, so that kind of culture, it's almost like, um, I mean, I I don't necessarily tie it into your last comment, Marit, but just thinking broadly about that kind of culture, that hero culture where feedback is not welcome. um, It seems important that we can try and create that kind of a culture, right? Because that's how we, how we get to build, build quality. If we're looking for the, for all of the unseen things, all of the unknown unknowns, um, that's how we get to build quality. So we have to be accepting of our like weakness, I guess, of our. Um, uh, 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 we, we have to be completely prepared for the fact that we're going to get things wrong, and then be actually like grateful to somebody who can tell us exactly how it was that we got things wrong.
2: But also, kind of looking at this from the tester community point of view, uh, not all testers actually focus on feedback that is welcomed. Like If you are very typical, I call it like a, uh, almost like a habitual disease that testers have, is that uh, we notice typos first. And when we talk about the typos that we see, I, I, for example, I can't see text without right away saying which line has the typo. So it's, it's that well built into the things that I observe. So when we start talking about the typo examples first to the developers who don't care about the typos, you know, you can fix them at any point. They might not necessarily always understand why I want to talk about the typos. They're actually blocking me from thinking on the next level. Whereas for them, they just, you know, mm. they're it's almost like air to them. So a lot of times when we come with the wrong feedback first, or we can't actually deliver the feedback that the other person considers meaningful it creates this this cycle where we just don't want to hear the feedback because it's going to be irrelevant anyway so it's definitely some of the skills that we need to build as testers kind of in my community we've had to build this the skills of understanding what is the feedback that you come with first so that the next feedback is also welcome and it might mean kind of like going over your own kind of like comfort ways of, of doing things like for example the typos
1: I think um yeah the the that both testers and developers can do a lot to improve things and uh we don't have those kind of uh, t- uh, lessons about how to talk to testers in our conferences which is like kind of telling about uh who is who's been made responsible um which I think is a bit unfair so I would say um matt i think you hit the nail on the head about uh, accepting weakness and i think it's a bit about being humble and sort of shifting from the blame culture to this collaboration culture where you through all the whole process of developing you include the testers and when something goes wrong you don't look at it as a failure of a person but an opportunity for the team how they can improve together you can have blameless threat perspectives. You know, you can have um, post mortems um, and just use these things to continuously improve your process. And I think uh, one of the things that we noticed, um, Marat and I talking with each other, I think Marat came up with this uh, model of the different development stages and how people think they've reached the, their goal if the testers are involved in requirements engineering and not just at the end of the process. But actually, that also leads to the fact that during the time between requirements engineering and delivering the feature, it's not allowed to interrupt the developers, it's not allowed to engage with the developers, and they're best to be left alone. And that is not exactly collaboration, that's maybe co-creation, you know, there's something missing there. So you can go even a step further and say, okay, we've achieved, um, we've achieved including the testers at the start of the process, but now we want to include them also when we do development. And mob programming is a really good example of how you could do that. I think Mara is really an expert in that.
2: Yeah, it's something that I'm quite into at least right now.
0: Yeah, because you've also talked about mob testing as well, but let's maybe start with mob programming. We've had a a few podcasts about that on on this pod. We've had Woody on... um, we had Lou Ellen on as well, but I don't, I don't remember whether he was talking about mobbing. I think he was talking about something else. Um, and we practice mobbing as a, as a team ourselves on the cucumber pro product that we're building together. Um, we, um, and it's, it's, uh, seems like a great practice. We really like it, but we don't have any, any, um, kind of specialist feedback fairies in our team. um, so how does it work being a feedback fairy in a, in a mob, in a mob programming environment? First off, Mari, what's that like?
2: So at, at first, when I started off, mobbing with my team i was really worried that i'm going to be dragging them down and slowing them and they don't want to be around me anymore so there was a lot of personal fear that i had to deal with for for going in but quite soon after you know starting to do that i started realizing that i had information they didn't even realize that i had and i had information kind of like you know i was doing this um, kind of like stealth exploratory testing so while we were mobbing and they were you know wanting to see they, we were doing this um Uh, web application. They wanted to change something and see it run and change something and see it run and and, and, and we were continuously doing these little cycles of testing. And they would always use Chrome as their browser. Always. Because that's the browser that every developer uses in that company. Yeah. So at some point I was like saying, hey, we seem to be, you know, running this in Chrome all the time. How about, you know, clicking that button and making it IE? Everybody cringed and then they moved to IE because I suggested that. And... (laughs) We found that it didn't run on IE at all, and we got to address that, you know, on the spot. And again, we run a couple of rounds on IE, and then we went back to Chrome because it was faster. And and similarly, like, I could inject, like, hey, maybe we should should use another user, maybe... uh, Uh, We should do uh, things differently here. You didn't click that. Did you do that intentionally? And and there were things like, I remember this one specific point where my developers were kind of, you know, talking to each other there in the mob. And they were saying that, uh, yeah, yeah, there's one of these, you know, like we select one. And I didn't really understand what they even were talking about. But I kind of interjected and said like, hey, are you talking about what the user selects? They're actually selecting many. So everyone else in the team was about to implement the wrong solution and, and right in that moment they were oh you knew how it actually was in production that was a useful piece of information it was actually an expensive mistake that you were able to prevent us and interestingly 40 minutes later I was the only one who remembered that that had ever happened so this kind of like you know being able to give the feedback that I know how to give in the moment so that we're doing it together and showing what kind of contributions do I bring as a tester into that that group? I find that it has been absolutely valuable to me.
1: And I think it's uh, you can even start with uh, proper pair programming. You know, if if mob programming seems a bit scary and there's some organizational hurdles, there, there's a possibility of stealth pair programming where you basically don't call it pair programming and you don't like ask for permission to do pair programming. But you just sit next to a developer or next to a tester, and you look oh what's what's wrong here? Show me what's going on, oh, okay, yeah, maybe we can just fix it together and write the test and you know fix the problem immediately, or oh, I have this feature, and I'm quite not sure about the business logic. Maybe you could help me walk through some examples and we I feel like as a developer, I often have the tendency to defer to any kind of um." Sort of questions that come uh, from testers to the product owner and say, "Oh, yeah, the product owner said it's not relevant yet," or you know, dismiss it immediately, instead of listening and saying, "Okay, we can also collaborate between the two of us." Of course, we don't want to override prioritization made by the product owner, but maybe if we talk to each other, we have some synergies that got lost somewhere in the process, and to kind of embrace that opportunity, you know, and not dismiss it. So, the direct collaboration is really important through the whole process.
2: So, a lot of times in my teams, I've had a product owner who is not so hands-on with the product. So, surely when there's, you know, big decisions or this way or that way, they would be interjecting. But a lot of times kind of the daily practical knowledge of how does the product really work has been something that I've been more aware of than the product owners just because I spent all of my days with the product. Also, you mentioned this idea that maybe you could pair if you can't mob. But one of the things, like I've worked with teams that don't like pairing. They don't want to pair. They don't want to mob. And sometimes... I've even had people who I find very difficult to to work with in in privacy of of a pair. Whereas in a group, I felt so much safer coming from a different role and, and still kind of like, you know, seeing what was I learning and what was I able to contribute. So there's a big difference in the dynamics of a mob for a tester versus suggesting to a developer that you'd pair with them.
1: Yeah, I'd be very careful about explicitly suggesting the pairing. (laughs) There's a lot of resistance that I've experienced even trying to do that as a developer. But I guess if you're trying to establish this kind of new way of working closer together, sometimes can lead to sort of this, this awkward or hard beginnings where you're just getting to know each other and each other's way of thinking and each other's way of working. And... You know, when you've been working as a group of developers for a while, you start, of, start to gel and the way you think about things is similar and you know each other and it just starts to flow. And then someone that comes in that has a different mindset that can actually be very, very valuable. Uh, but you have to get used to working with each other. And I think it's important that when you do these first things that you go in there with a lot of energy, the energy to kind of listen longer or maybe, you know, have, um, if you can, a thicker skin about some things that the other person might say. I personally had that experience with a developer where we were trying to pair and he, he told me, you, you got nothing to teach me. I don't want to learn anything from you. And then I said, okay, that's fine. Um, but I'm here now. So if you don't want to learn from me, that's fine. But can we at least work on this together? And then I was just trying to be patient and listen and value his experience with the product and the domain and you know listen to his complaints about this new language he had to learn and he said i said yeah i understand these are all drawbacks that were better in your language but um is the language you have right now and we have to deal with this so let's try to see how we can make it better together and how we can make this work for you so we did some stuff that i would usually never do and add comments to everything just to explain to him and then later we went back and we You know we factored the code using those comments to make it visible without the comments and just his perspective from someone who wasn't used to the way things are done in java i learned so much from that but it took me kind of getting past the initial his initial aggression and resistance and later understood that probably it was maybe fear or anything that was holding him back and this was his reaction In order to do that, I have to sleep well, eat well, you know, just be rested and have that energy.
2: So, I don't know if I've ever told this story, (laughs) but uh, I needed to pair first time with Llewellyn, who is um, very much a developer personality. Llewellyn Falco, you mentioned him already earlier. And we first paired on, on programming and everything was fine. But later on, we needed to then pair on exploratory testing, which is kind of my specialty. And it took him maybe three minutes to hijack the session so that uh, when very first in the beginning of our pairing session, I would mention things like, I wonder how big is this dialogue? We were testing this new feature with new dialogues introduced. Uh, He would basically use the rest of our session into showing me all kinds of tools that you can use to measure exactly how many pixels it is and how I could automate the measuring as well. And I really had a new feature I had never seen before that I would have wanted to look at more. And we ended up with basically doing programming even when we were trying to do testing. Our second try after having talked about this was much better where we just agreed that listening skills are kind of relevant in in, in pairing. And then actually... Uh, it kind of changed things in the way that uh, both pairing on exploratory testing and mobbing on exploratory testing have been things that he's nowadays teaching in companies as a developer. And I've been very proud of of the way that he teaches exploratory testing, but it's, it's been a path. So do
0: you think if we go back to um, what some, some people call the real world, but like, you know, those, those teams where people aren't yet even open to pairing and if you're a tester listening to this podcast thinking, I want to kind of break through the barrier here and um, this sounds really good to try and open up a more collaborative relationship with the developers to better give them feedback sooner, maybe even get involved in, in talking about requirements. So you're going along to the daily stand up, maybe um, talking about what you're all going to do for the day. Where, going along to your retrospectives like where where's the place where you start to you know um Francie, i think you talked about not even calling it pairing but what, what you know how do you how, what, what's your kind of first move if you're in that in that situation what do you think
1: so i would um i know this sounds very machiavellian but i would look for the weakest link um, sort of the team member that would be the earliest adopter to a collaborative approach someone um who you feel like would be least resistant, (laughs) you know, the point of of least resistance to this. And then, you know, let's say they're complaining about a problem, just grabbing a chair next to them and say, what's going on? Um, You know, just asking them to explain to you what's going on. And then at some point you might say, oh, can I um, just use the keyword for a sec? I want to check something. And, you know, like then you pass the keyword back and forth and you would be pairing. That would be me as a developer doing that. Um, as a tester, I think it really depends on um, where your areas of comfort are. Maybe you can sort of play the person that doesn't really understand what's going on and ask a developer to explain just to drive out some things that the developer might not know they don't know. But maybe as a tester, you know better <laughs> uh, some techniques.
2: So, I think the technique you were just describing is self-pairing. And it's definitely a a technique that I would say both roles, both testers and developers use. And kind of like you already mentioned, uh, depending on what you're comfortable with and what you're comfortable stretching yourself into, you can try different kinds of things. I think the easiest one maybe is the one where you find a problem or weird behavior. And instead of continuing testing it all by yourself, Uh, you would invite the developer to come and look with you and you could even be pushing uh, things a bit further saying hey what if we would fix it right now since you agreed that this is a problem you know sometimes it it succeeds but when you keep on trying that kind of things like showing things and getting agreement that this is a real problem and and trying to make uh, make you to fix those problems on the spot that usually helps i also find that a lot of times The thing that is most helpful, interestingly, is when testers learn test automation and programming, and there's more of this, it's weirdly, that's what creates sort of a common language or common interest point in a way. So working on test automation, it could be reviewing a pull request, or it could be uh, just uh, creating a test automation thing, asking advice on any bit or piece that, that you're trying to do there. But of course, that depends on what you're comfortable with doing.
1: I think there's a, there's possibly a danger there, which is that we devalue the exploratory testing and the skills of exploratory testers, which is definitely something that is invaluable, right? So let's, uh, yeah, I, I do agree that it will help the communication, but we also have to be careful not to pigeonhole the testers into, you all have to know test automation. But uh, yeah, I, I, I would say it's like with any other um, relationship that you're trying to build, like with a new friend or a new co-worker is you try to find some common interests. You know, you try to find something that you can share, exchange ideas about and um, yeah, try to, to understand what motivates them, what makes them go to, <clears throat> go to work each day, what makes them um, yeah, happy, I guess, and uh, try to work from there.
2: Right now, I work with a team of developers uh, where my role is very heavily defined on the export or testing side. I have one of my team members specializing in test automation and kind of takes care of that area quite self-sufficiently, especially uh, with help of the developers. And the big kind of gaping hole, usually, in, in the way we work, is on the exploratory testing side. Like, for example, we were creating this, this firewall uh, remote management feature, and we had the test automation on it. Then I explored it after we had created the automation, and I found 40 problems that we needed to fix. So there's usually these kind of gaping holes. And of course, whatever I was then testing, we would have a discussion and, and see what we can put into the automation. But a lot of times because my strong point is so much on the exporter testing side, my teammates, my my developers, they, they tend to tell me that I should spend all of my time there. And in the last couple of weeks I've been spending most of my time with the automation because there's certain architectural changes that I want to drive through in our automation framework. And also I want to create a bit more collaborative environment in how we create the automations, not just within single team, but across our product lines. And the way I do a lot of that work is that I have my opinions and then I pair, stealth pair, with the developers to feed some of my opinions there. And interestingly, uh, after... Being so long in this industry and having enough respect amongst the developers, it catches to the level that I sometimes manage to make other people uncomfortable with change of rules in what a pull request uh, looks like to be accepted out on the fly just by mentioning things in passing. So it's been something that's been happening in the in the last couple of weeks. I think that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Mara, you're operating on so many yeah. levels there. It's amazing. Um, yeah, it's funny you, you you just said the words test automation just as I wrote it down on my notes here to ask about that. Um, we had Angie Jones on the pod a few weeks ago, and um, we were talking. She she calls herself um, an automation engineer, so she specialises. She was she she w- would have called herself a developer previously, and she's now specialised in writing code that automates tests because that's what she she loves doing and finds it really interesting. Um, and I think, uh, and so we had an interesting conversation about that, like delineation between, you know, um, cause I, I kind of come from the school of like, if I'm a developer, um, if I'm shipping code, I should ship it with tests. I don't need somebody else to have to do that for me. That's kind of like, I don't know, having somebody to clean my house for me or, or wash my dishes for me. Like I should just take responsibility for that myself. Um, I I don't know. I I guess I'd like to know what you what you guys think about that because Marit, you've obviously talked a lot about your expertise of exploratory testing, and um, that's your personal specialism. And yeah, what 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 do you what have you two seen that works? I I think it depends a lot on the individuals on the team, doesn't it, and and what they're ready for and interested in. What what do you two think about that? About where the line the line is, and and sort of who's who's responsible for the test automation.
1: So I think it's uh, it's not necessarily good to to divide the responsibilities so um, clearly. Like to say test automation is like developer's job and exploratory testing is the tester's job. Um, I think even with the exploratory testing, you can bring developers sort of a little bit towards the testing mindset and you can say, hey, let's do a test bash together or let's do testing tours together where... We do we take just an afternoon and we test even just the features that you just developed, you know, you swap them around and another person just tries to to do that. You can do that if you don't have a dedicated tester role. You can do that under the guidance of a tester, um, pairing with the tester, and you can do that you know, any time. You don't have to do it at the end of the sprint. But sometimes it's a nice thing to just take an afternoon and and do that. So yeah, test automation is, is everybody's responsibility, <laughs> but so is the exploratory testing. I, I find it really hard to divide that. I would say as a team, the best teams take credit for the work they do as a team, and they also take responsibility for when something goes wrong as a team. And I think this, this giving credit also to testers because is important, especially in saying that contribution you make to the team is very important and that specific thing you did. For example, when Marit mentioned that things work differently on production, that pointing out specific things that the testers did to help, also to decision makers, can really help you safeguard from these discussions whether a tester is even necessary. And that is really harmful <laughs> to the team uh, such discussions and not just to the confidence of the tester but also you know so i'm sorry to not really answer your question but uh, yeah <laughs> well
2: i'd like to maybe then take a you know yeah. pick on on that one so i actually really like the way you said that you feel like testing is is kind of like you know saying that you don't if you skip it it's kind of like you don't need to keep your room clean that it's it's part of this this whole thing that you're expected to do as a developer. and I'm very much for that. Uh, I really liked uh, we had a this this uh, week of freedom. Uh, basically we could do anything we wanted at the office and my developers, my my colleagues there, they decided that they would do the room cleaning. They were doing refactoring and adding tests for the whole week because they felt that they were somehow behind in in whatever they had realized they needed to add while they were developing the features in the first place. So this room cleaning is very much a, a, a thing that I, I kind of think of. I find that different organizations approach this very differently. Like su- there, there are organizations where they... Developers have been unfortunately taught that uh, they are too expensive or too valuable to do testing, and testing is a second-class job, and that's definitely not how it is. But I've been at least lucky enough in, in recent years to be in organizations where we're moving much more forward towards this this whole team taking responsibility of automation. And even though, you know, I mentioned that my team has an automation specialist, my team has an export register in me, and we have developers, you know, on some days I write production code with them. On some days I write unit tests with them. On some days they write test automation with us. And there isn't a strict rule of who does what, but it's more on who focuses and cares for certain perspectives. And for us, it's been helpful to have these roles kind of reminding that we want all these things, you know, present in the in the way we work. But also, I can easily see that some organizations have already taken the next step and just want to call everyone a developer. And there, maybe my main concern is this, this idea that... Um, Uncle Bob sometimes talks about this idea that uh, software development uh, as a field, it grows quite heavily. So we are about twice as big every five years. So if you look at the room in wherever you you have like an equal representation of people in the industry, about half of the people have less than five years of experience. And when you have less than five years of experience, it might make sense that, you know, one of us starts from the corner of exploratory testing. One of us starts on the corner of let's figure out test automation. And one of us starts in the corner of let's make really, really beautiful production code. It might make sense. And then growing so that you would mix tasks and 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 figure out what you can learn from each other as well but especially since we're bringing in so many people into the industry i think it's it's easy to say that after 24 years i can be kind of like you know all around and everywhere but it wasn't obvious in any way when i had less than 10 years of experience in in this industry
0: it reminds me a little bit as well about the criticism of um getting you know uh, this idea of people marking like schoolchildren marking their own homework like if you if you blur the lines too much some people's criticism is that well developers can't test their own code because you need somebody else to check it and i think that i think that most people when they say that i would argue that they were wrong but i do think as a developer there's a mindset that you get into when you are solving a problem that makes you quite myopic about the possibilities of that solution being wrong or, um, there being other problems around that problem that you also need to solve. Right. It's, it's difficult to see both, to see both of those dimensions at the same time. Um, yeah. So I don't know where I'm going with this question. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with it at all. It's just an observation, I guess, on, off of what you said. Um,
2: I had one developer in my previous place of work that I uh, needed to pair with on teaching him exploratory testing. And I remember one day that I just decided, you know, to experiment and try things a bit different. And I decided I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to be guiding him at all. I'm just, you know, going to be hanging around there and, and see when, what, what happens. And to my surprise, he tested really well. You know, I just sat next to him and like, mm-hmm, I'm trying to mm-hmm, not say anything. Mm-hmm, like it, it was really hard for me not to say things, but also kind of like just being there. Uh, he was like, oh, you'd want me to click here. Oh, you'd want me to, to, to do this. And, and you'd want me to change things. Like, Why aren't you doing any of this when I'm not around? Why do you need me for this? And later on, I've kind of like grown to realize yeah. there's this concept of holding space. And sometimes you need to have someone who kind of like holds the space for certain type of activities to happen. And I quite often as a tester end up being the person who holds space for, for quality and and finishing things and developers then, then they are holding space for other kinds of aspects.
0: Yeah. So just by being there, you remind people to go into that mode of thought.
1: Yeah. It's interesting you brought up the children uh, because I think sometimes teams Um, have to grow in maturity just like children so you have to like think Pierluigi Pugliese gave me that um, insight um, was that you you don't give a toddler responsibility to do the taxes right so you start basically giving him more and more responsibility and being there at first to catch them if they fall and I think this is how you also can grow the collaboration in your team and the testing skills for the developers individually is to give them an opportunity to grow and if there's stress then they're gonna retreat to their comfort zone so you have to make, also kind of take, take care a little bit about the stress level and everything but just slowly giving them more and more responsibility and that might sometimes mean also letting them fail and pushing something to production so that they don't rely on the tester catching everything, you know, which is a very dangerous state of mind to be in. And and I think this way the maturity of the team can rise and they can take on more and more responsibilities. And for people that are entering the industry, I think it's really hard. Uh, It's not that long ago for me. So I remember being so overwhelmed with all the different directions I could specialize in and things that I could do. And people are just telling me, oh, you know, you're going to find your way. Be patient. And I was so impatient. I was so eager. And I think um, it's good to give that kind of productive outlet and say, hey, okay, so right now you're interested in exploratory testing, you know, I'll give you some space to explore that and just see what feels good. Just maybe a little bit like when doctors do, I think they do this kind of Rotation where they try different specialties you know just letting them explore whatever feels good to them at the moment
0: and um, was there anything that you two wanted to talk about or say or like rant about while you have the airspace is there any particular points that you needed if you would have liked to have made that you didn't get a chance to because of the questions that i asked or didn't ask
2: so we did this little survey uh asking developers and testers their memories about what they remember, uh, you know, good things. Focus on the good and tell us, what do you remember? What were the kind of things that kind of stuck with, the, with you on, on the collaboration between testers and developers? And we got 100-something answers, responses. And interestingly, it seemed like testers always remembered when, when developers were kind to them when developers invited testers to pair or actively involve them in some way. And testers, they expected that developers would appreciate them for, you know, the awesome bugs that they would find. But a lot of times the things that developers actually uh, uh, remembered that or, or appreciated in testers were more, not so much on finding the problems, but more like teaching them tricks while doing things. Like uh, there was a technique that I wasn't aware of, and I I, I got introduced to that. So that was kind of interesting. How uh, the experiences of what testers find positive and what developers find positive in the collaboration—how different the the uh, what we value were.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. So, so a kind of piece of advice then to to end on, perhaps, is that testers, yeah, teaching developers tricks. I don't know. It seems to me the thing I'm taking from this conversation is that the role of a, of a tester or a feedback fairy in a team is a really it's a really important because you have this perspective from a little way outside of the code that allows you to see more of the holistic picture of the dynamics of how the code is getting written and where the code is useful and how well the collaboration is working and there is some extra, I don't know, I don't know whether responsibility is the right word, but there's some extra level of uh, power almost that is available to a tester in that, from that perspective of being able to see where the team can be coached and improved and um, not just on an individual level, but, but like as, as a, as a whole team. Um, So teaching the developers tricks in that way as well as just kind of like little little things about how to test stuff. Um and I guess the the, the message I'm hearing for developers is is to be nice, um, be kind and be ready to be wrong. That's the other big thing I think. Be ready to be wrong, because you're always wrong. have you've always made a mistake. You would be weird if you hadn't made a mistake when you wrote that code.
2: And I really appreciated kind of your reference to the book that said that whatever feedback, whatever way you get that, it's valuable and that you can always pick stuff out of there. Maybe that would be, you know, a takeaway also that it would be great if we could have some lessons that we could learn on on how to appreciate even the harshest feedback.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the feedback. That's what the book is called. Thanks for the feedback. That's the approach you always need to take whenever you get feedback from someone. Thanks for the feedback.
1: I would really encourage any kind of developer who doesn't come into contact with testers uh, or only comes into contact with a few testers to dabble in one testing conference or go to a local test meetup to just talk to a couple of uh, testers who are engaged and have so much experience and can talk about these things because it's a whole different world that you get to see and a whole different, yeah, basically horizon that you can explore.
0: All right, great. Well, thank you so much. Francie and Marit for coming on the on the podcast and giving us your wisdom uh that's it for this week I should probably tell you to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and like us and tweet about us and all those kinds of things and we'll see
2: you next time thank you